We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee and the resident alpha of the pod, Joe Fan, is going to be joining us today because we're going to talk about the 49ers and Seattle Seahawks week two matchup. Joe does digital content over at bet to win He writes at SeattleSports.com. And um, we're going to dive into this week two 49ers Seahawks matchup. Let's go. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. feels good to have an alpha in the room again Chris <laughs> yeah no I mean like as as one boring normie to another Kyle mm. like it's it's important that we that we bring Joe in every once in a while particularly when when the Seahawks are are on the the Niners schedule so Joe welcome back how's it how's it feel to be back first of all I think this is your like third or fourth time on the pod at least I, we're deeper than that i think over the yeah. years but uh no it feels great great it's always always a pleasure to have the invite back and uh just happy football's back man like it just there was nothing nothing like watching the red zone countdown on the couch <laughs> like it's going you're like here we go i'm not gonna move a damn muscle today and i didn't successfully so credit to me that's outstanding you also have is that is it are you in your place right now I am. Look at that you classy art paint. behind me. I was going to say, you have new art. Did you steal that from the Venetian? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fan had those in the house, and they were like, we don't need them. I was like, I don't love them, but also I don't really want to pay for new art. So sure, sign me up. And so, yeah, I got to steal them from the fans, which is which is great. Credit to me. It's just a little class in the place, you know? Yeah, Credit no, to you. Yeah, you look you look very cultured and well traveled with those. <laughs> I'm so cultured. <laughs> oh God, it's I wish really I had good for an audio medium. Culture in me. <laughs> so, uh, the Seahawks obviously coming off a, a big win for them Monday night over the Denver Broncos. They beat Russell Wilson in a game that I have no idea how the Broncos lost. Um, but 
obviously, and, and it was a game between the 49ers next two opponents, which, which is interesting, but Joe, what was your big takeaway from the Seahawks? Was it something that, what were there things that happened in that game that made you think, okay, the Seahawks might actually be more competitive than we anticipated this year, or was it just kind of one of those games where some funky stuff happened and maybe over the long haul, that type of success against good teams isn't going to be sustainable for that club. Honestly, I think that's what their games are going to look like. I think they're largely going to be outplayed. They'll look good in spurts. I think Geno Smith is a more disrespected quarterback than he should be. I think he will be fine. I mean, he's the epitome of a stopgap quarterback. He's not going to make the big mistakes. Um, he can do enough with his legs to keep plays alive. You saw some of that. He can, he can, he can beat you with them a little bit. And then he made some big time throws. Then you're going to see in the second half where things falter a bit and they have really no vertical passing game. You know, everything in the beginning of the game was, you know, shallow crossers, uh, extending plays a little bit and then finding the open man. Um, and everything kind of was kind of on time in rhythm. And then it all broke down in the second half and what they were barely able to get a first down on their own accord without a Broncos penalty. So, you know, I, I don't think I think they're going to be a solid team because they're not going to turn the ball over a lot. Um, there's enough defensively, particularly with the pass rush that you feel good about their linebackers played tremendous in that game. Um, and then, you know, offensively, I, I think you when know, you don't have a ton of penalties, and you don't turn the ball over. It, it makes teams have to beat you because you're not going to beat yourself. And so I think that's the epitome of the Seahawks. There's a reason why, you know, if you look at win bet, their, their win total and it was five and a half and it was juiced to the over, which means normally it's a 110 minus 110 bet, bet 110 to win hundred. It's like minus 140, minus 150, where wow. you'd have to bet 140, 150 to win 100. Um, and that's significant. The betting community told you that, hey, I think, you know, this team is going to be more competitive than, than what others think. And so, yeah, you look at the Broncos, 12 penalties, a couple of turnovers could have had more. Um, the terrible late game clock management, and they lose a game that they absolutely should have won. But that's going to be a game that the Seahawks, you look at the Seahawks, a lot this year where you say, how are they only down four in the fourth quarter? How are they ahead in the fourth quarter? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to where they probably cover a lot of spreads, but but might have a chance to steal a couple of games as well. So I was always of the mind that the reason the Seahawks, like there's that Kevin Clark tweet that's like the Seahawks have literally never played a normal game. And I was always of the mind that that was because of Russell Wilson. But is it actually because of Pete Carroll? <laughs> and just kind of the way that he wants to play football, like he's going to play defense, he's going to run it, and every game is going to be close. Let me tell you, it's there's never been a truer tweet. I mean, Russell Wilson is a part of that, but there's something about the Seahawks. There's something about Pete Carroll. There's something about that team in that stadium, especially on prime time, that shit just gets weird, man. And, <laughs> you know, like fluky stuff happens that you never would expect to happen elsewhere. And... Yeah, clearly they still have some of that mojo as a part of their DNA. So when it comes to Russell Wilson and just sort of that relationship, I'm trying to figure out what the Seahawks goals are this season. And irrespective of what happened on Monday, obviously they're, they're trying to win games, but it feels like they're tanking. Like if you just look at the decisions that they made in the off season and, and sort of the way they're building it they they seem okay with bottoming, bottoming out and potentially drafting a quarterback or at least being in position to draft a quarterback. But then, you know, Pete Carroll is, is at a certain level of his career where he's like not trying to lose and do the rebuilding thing. Like 
I know we talked about this in the offseason, but after seeing a one game sample now, like where where are you at in terms of what you think the Seahawks internal goals are and how they're approaching this thing? It's a really good question. Thanks, man. I don't really know because it is sort of confusing where I do think they, they might fall into that good, not great abyss. And it's like the worst thing you can ever do as a professional sports team. You know, think of all the NBA teams that make the playoffs every year, but really you don't think of as a team that can actually win it. You know, the jazz just blew it up because they were in that same purgatory. You know, you see so many NFL teams there and that's why you see so many teams tank, you know, particularly in baseball where you say, Hey, we're not the Astros or the Dodgers. So why try at all? Which is a shame. It's ultimately bad for the sport. But it, it does make sense um, when you're trying to reload and get a, a, enough of a core that you can feel good about and building on. Um, because I, I do think they're going to be competitive. They're not going to be great, but they might accidentally win seven or eight games where you're not going to be in a playoff spot and you're not in the top 10. And unless the Broncos really tank, you've got two picks in the teens, which right. – it's not terrible. You're not going to argue with that, but you're also not looking at the top two or three pass rushers in the draft or, you know, whomever that other top defensive player is. Well, you do have ammunition to move up. You do certainly. But, but the question you ask is, you know, yeah, I can't see what 72, 73 year old Pete Carroll really committing to a, you know, full tank and a rebuild. It's just not in his DNA, but I am curious how this goes because the sort of competitive losses you lose on a last second field goal is sort of like the ideal outcomes. Now for Seahawks fans, that was their Super Bowl. They wanted to win that game badly as did the whole team. You see uncharacteristic quotes from Pete Carroll and you got some alumni there who were really hyped about it, but that's sort of the formula you're looking for where it's not like you look at the jets. You're like, this team is just, there aren't even building blocks here, but you're like, all right. Yeah. Beautiful. One step closer to a top five pick, but they gave it a good college try and they lost on the last second field goal and they covered. So that's sort of, I think what the goal is for a lot of fans, uh, even though when you're watching the games, you still want to see them win. So you mentioned that it felt like the players wanted that one really bad for, for Seattle. They wanted to go beat Russell Wilson, especially, and it's the home opener. It's Monday Night Football. Like, there's all these things that made that such an emotionally charged game. Is there any concern in your mind of a like emotional letdown going into the Niner game? Like, I'm sure it helps that it's a divisional game, but they're on a short week. They're going on the road. I mean, that would be that would be my concern going in. Maybe, but great. Back to you, Chris. <laughs> if they play really bad and get their butts kicked, they might just be a worse team. You know, it's hard sure. to judge with teams that aren't very good. Yeah. Where the emotional letdown is and where it's just a lack of talent. And you got beat by a team that's far more talented and far deeper and has far greater aspirations as the Niners do. Um, no, I, I don't think you worry about that. I mean, it is, it's on the road. You're away from the home crowd. I mean, it was as loud as it's been in several years. You know, right. probably four or five, six years. Um, it was a true hostile environment that I don't even think even before COVID hit, you'd really feel that way. You know, there was sort of, it kind of waned from what it was in the peak of the Legion of Boom era. So, yeah, I mean, it, 
naturally you're not going to have that same juice. You know, it's not prime time, whatever, but if they lose and they lose bad, I don't think anyone's going to come out of this and try to justify it of, oh, it was just an emotional letdown after an emotional win. I think it's going to be like, eh, this is probably just more who they are. I think the spread's 10 points. That's so many points. That's so many points because I, I think expecting Geno Smith to score against the Niners defense is asking a lot, but the Seahawks play competent enough defense that uh, Trey Lance is going to have to earn it. I don't think he, you know, it's going to be busts all over the field. And I think they're competent enough against the run um, to, to make Trey Lance have to do something with his, with his arm in the passing game. Um, 10 points is a lot. I mean, anytime you see 10, a lot of points. I saw 10 and a half ones where even if it's 17 and the Seahawks have the ball late in the game, you're just like, just asking for the backdoor co- uh, cover. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like it's going to be a sweat free win if you bet that side. Um, but I am, I am sort of surprised it's that big. Yeah. That's a lot of points. So you covered the Seahawks as a beat reporter for a little while. Um, you're from the area. You're very familiar with Russell Wilson. Would you have given him five years and $242.6 million contract? No, but I'm <laughs> probably more skeptical of Russ than his supporters are. I don't think he's going to be a bad quarterback. The problem is it's kind of the going rate for a above average quarterback at this point. Uh, yeah. And it will be down sure. the road, you know, when that deal goes into effect, I just, that has a chance of aging poorly before he even starts getting paid on that deal. You know, 165 million guaranteed that starts two years down the road. Uh, it's seven years total now, including the two years left on his current deal. He's already 33. He's really not running the football anymore. He's, like semi elusive in terms of manipulating the pocket, but the off script magic, I just don't see it being there to the degree in which it was in the prime of his career. And that's so much of what his game was predicated on the stuff you couldn't game plan for. Now you can game plan for him. It doesn't mean he's not going to have big games, but it's, it's the second play. It breaks down and all of a sudden, you know, you're a fan watching on TV of the opposition. You just think, oh, no, because you know what's coming. Somebody's open downfield and he's going to hit him for a 45-yard touchdown or escape and run for 15 yards. And that's just not really there anymore, you know. So he has to adjust a bit. He's got to be able to be more of that pure pocket passer where you're on time, you're getting the ball out, you're throwing to the short and intermediate middle, something that he's struggled over the course of his career, um, and you can't take the back-breaking sacks. That's another thing he's known for. The, the brutal second and seven, and then he takes a nine-yard sack, and the series <laughs> is over. That's classic Russell Wilson. But you can sort of take it when there's the, the big upside of, you know, two or three times a game, he's going to create an, an explosive from it. So when you don't have the, the carrot, it's hard to deal with the stick. Um, you know, sort of the same sense of Jimmy Garoppolo, and he's still turning the ball over to the degree in which he did. Um, and he's not getting the, you know, the explosives in the passing game. You're like, what are we doing here? You know, why we can do better than this, which is, I think, ultimately why they went and got Trey Lance. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, have, I have major questions about Russell Wilson and what the back nine of his career is going to look like. What do you think about, I mean, it is the stuff, I, I think this was in Brady Henderson's story. Shout out to Brady. That, that was a really good story. Well done for ESPN. Mm-hmm. What do you make of, the insistence on being in shotgun as often as, as he is, because like, it drives me insane that 
NFL teams so often run short yardage running plays out of shotgun. And that came to bite the Broncos right in the ass a couple times at the one yard line. Um, is that like, is that a Russ thing or is that a Nathaniel Hackett thing? Like, do you, do you have a feel for Russ's aversion to playing under center and particularly being able to pass under center? So they're not basically telling the defense that they're going to run the ball every time he is under center. I don't know because he's in his career, he's been such a good play action passer. And so it's, and that comes from being under center. So I don't know why now he maybe feels that there's more of an emphasis or need uh, and a a comfort in being in shotgun. I don't know. know. Maybe it's just like, he wants to feel at this point in his career that he has vision of the field at all times as opposed to he knows what his pre-snap look is, you take the play fake, and then you look back and re-engage your eyes downfield, and it looks completely different. I don't know. I'm fascinated to see what happens with Russ. Because, again, you take the finger injury out of it, and he gets a a break for those two or three games he came back after that because he came back really quick. He just so much rehab. He worked so hard, dude. 28 (laughs) hours a day. I heard it was like, 29 and a half. <laughs> but he's played a lot of bad ball since 2020. What was 2020 was the Let Russ, Let Russ Cook year where eight, nine games in, he's the undisputed MVP, absolutely just the superstar, unquestioned. He was unstoppable. And then he has the turnover streak against the Bills and the Rams. Pete Carroll pulls the court on, on Let Russ Cook. But even throughout the rest of that season and then into that one playoff game against the Rams, he wasn't good. And then last year, he also wasn't very good. Like before the finger injury, he had some really big first halves, but they, they really choked games at the end against the Titans in week two. I think it was the Vikings in week three. So he's put, he's played a lot of bad ball over the course of the last two years. So I guess it just goes back to Kyle's point of, are you nervous about giving 165 million guaranteed? Yes. 100%. And I'm really fascinated to see how it plays out. I want to jump over to the other side of the ball real quick uh, with Seattle. I don't have any good Russell Wilson questions. I almost said Westbrook. I have a lot of Russell Westbrook questions, but I'll keep those for same. I'll keep those for a different podcast. Sorry, Damien. Uh, My guy, Damien Barling loves Russell Westbrook. I hate Russell Westbrook might be my least favorite professional athlete. He's going to unsubscribe from this podcast. Damien is after this. Um, Okay. I'm going to move on. I want to talk about Jamal Adams. How much how much you talked about the Seahawks defense playing sound? How much does his absence impact their defense? I think it's pretty significant. You know, was the trade bad? Yes. Was the contract bad? Yes. Is he still an above average football player? Certainly. And you saw him before he got hurt. He was around the football a lot. And mm-hmm. the play he got hurt on, he was in the backfield, like, you know, putting pressure on Russell Wilson. Tweak something and then he's now done for the year, it looks like. So, yeah, you don't just replace that. Um, Now, what does that mean? Is it worth a win? Is it worth two? Um, You know, it doesn't sting as much in a year that they're not expecting to go to the the Super Bowl, you know, I guess, or, you know, have those aspirations. I I just feel bad for the guy because I think this is going to be a bounce back year. They switched from the 4-3 to a 3-4. They thought it was going to be a better fit for him. Um, And we didn't even get to see a, a game of it. 
And Man. his whole time in Seattle, even the season when he had 10 and a half sacks, he missed like three games. Uh, I think it was with a quad injury uh, early in the year. I mean, he broke his fingers. He's playing through shoulder injuries last year. And I mean, it's just been bad going for him since the trade. And it's, you know, then in turn been bad going for the Seahawks since the trade. The one that will go down just in infamy in Seahawks history. But yeah, they're going to miss him, certainly. Not to get, not to be too much of like a football guy, Hardo, but it was like, it was kind of jarring to see the Seahawks running a, a 3 4 defense. Like when you think schematically throughout the league, like, and you think certain schemes with certain teams, you're always like, yeah, four, three cover three, right. You know, all that stuff. The Seahawks like to do safety in the box to see them playing a base three, four was just kind of mind blowing. Like, but they have a lot of new guys are there. I mean, they're secondary, super young and they're like, you know, former undrafted guys and a fifth round pick starting. Like, what do you make of the future of the defense? Like, are those the guys, the guys that are starting right now, are those the guys that they're trying to build around? Or do you think this is going to be a multi-year process in terms of like finding the guys to build that defense out with? Well, a safety, I mean, the goal was for Quandre Diggs. They just paid this off season and Jamal Adams to be there. Yeah. Still isn't Jamal clearly, but I mean, they got a lot of meat left on the bone of that contract. So you know, pencil him back in for next year. Yeah, the corners are a work in progress. I mean, they've got a couple, you know, late round picks. Tariq Woolen, uh, Kobe Bryant, another. Um, you got Michael Jackson back there who's starting. You know, yeah, it's Kobe Bryant and Michael Jackson. What what names? <laughs> you know, you feel like you're it's, yeah, is it's that actually their name. I'm is glad you really, said it because I didn't want to do it. Is that really who's starting in the Seahawks <laughs> secondary? But the thing is that corner, they haven't really invested yet. You know, they haven't, right. you know, their, their big investment, they have was it a, a third round pick um, in the Oklahoma cat that is hurt right now. Why can't I think of his name? Trey, Trey Brown, Trey Brown. Yeah. Yep. Um. You know, so I think he's probably their biggest investment at this point. I think Tariq Woolen might also be in that same mix, that fourth round mix. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think they're hoping one of those guys hits, um, you know, or if Sidney Jones and Artie Burns, you can maybe get another year out of them as a starter. Um, but then you sort of evaluate, okay, do we have one corner? Now, I was surprised they let DJ Reed walk. I figured, gosh, you got, you got that guy in the building and he was so good. Why would you let him walk away then start from scratch at such an important position? Um you know, but that's what they the same did, question. so we'll see. As a neutral observer, um, what, do, what do you make of the 49ers quarterback situation after one week? I mean, it's like if he ever got hurt, you're going to be like, okay, it's nice to have Jimmy there yeah. compared to who's, who was the other backup, Stidham or Brock Purdy. <laughs> Brock Purdy, that's right. Like you'd rather have Jimmy there waiting in the wings to kind of save the day. It doesn't bury your season. I mean, there's not many teams out there. The Niners might be the only team in the league where if they're to lose their starting quarterback, their season's not over. Yeah. I'm not sure who else would be on that list. So that sort of insurance is nice, but I just don't see how it's not a psychological negative for Trey Lance, who's coming into this league and he knows Every bad pass, bad throw, three and out that happens at Levi's Stadium, there's going to be some boo birds. There's going to be people that get restless very quickly and want Jimmy Garoppolo to play. And 
fair or not, mostly unfair to him. It wasn't his decision to trade three first round picks for himself and take him what third mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. But the pressure is insane on him to be really good. I mean, the, the issue is he can't be Jimmy Garoppolo. He has to be much better. Right. Because you have Jimmy Garoppolo on a pretty fair contract, given what the numbers are now for, for mega deals, you know, to where, you know, he's probably not as good as Kirk Cousins, um, but he's sort of in that Carson Wentz tier. You know, you could do so much worse than him, especially with how much the guys in the locker room loved him. There's so much mojo around Jimmy. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is like there's probably going to be some guys in the locker room who practice every day and be like, dude, Trey ain't it. Like, let's just fuck, let's just, let's just roll with Jimmy, man. Like, what are, we, think what, are we, what are we doing right now? You know? Yeah. And he's yeah. right there. He's in the locker room. Yeah. You know? So I, I get, I guess how it all went down, but it's just hard for me to, to believe that it's, it's truly putting Trey Lance in the best possible position to mentally and physically do the job. How much do you think that impacted him going 13 for 28 in Chicago? And how much Not of it was the rain? Not much at all. You feel bad. Like, oh, it's big hype into his first game and the weather is just awful. Um, I ho- I re- I'm pulling for him, man. I really hope he's the guy. He seems like such a great kid. Um, and ultimately, I think if he doesn't, if he's not the guy, I'm not going to blame the Niners and the Jimmy thing. You know, you either got it or you don't. It's sort of like yeah, a baseball. Prospect. They bring him up too soon. Is it the Mariners' fault that Jared Kelnick sucks? Or is it Jared Kelnick's fault that Jared Kelnick sucks? And I'm I'm willing to put a majority of the blame on Jared Kelnick because at some point you just got to come through and do the yeah. job. And that's how I feel about Trey Lance. I just sort of feel bad. You know, it's the easy analogy of making sense. This has gone down all offseason, but it's like you break up, but you're like, hey, you can meet a new girl. You're like, but hey, babe, I'm going to still live with my ex, you know, just for like financial purposes. And it's like, <laughs> even if your ex knows, like, there's nothing weird going on. You're not cheating on her, whatever. Like she's the old girl. You're it. I'm with, I'm with you and yeah. I'm not looking back. It's still weird. It's still yeah. weird. So, you know, no matter how much or how often Kyle Shanahan tells Trey Lance, he's the dude. It's hard to really feel totally comfortable. What's what's wild to me is he finished whatever. I think it was 13 of 28 for like a buck 64 and a pick. But there was a play in that game where the Niners are up 10 nothing. They get a third down stop on a run play. Uh, Dre Greenlaw grabs a running back's face mask on the way down. 15 yards. Bears drive extends. Fields hits Dante Pettis for a 51-yard touchdown. And the wheels kind of started falling off for San Francisco. Did not see that revenge game coming. Did no, not see I don't that think anyone did. Coming. I forgot Dante Pettis was on the Bears. As did I. That play happened it was like oh all right Dante Pettis but if that Dre Greenlaw play doesn't happen the Niners probably win like 13 nothing and Lance goes 11 of 20 11 of 21 for 140 yards and the game just gets viewed so much differently you know and it's like oh that looked just like it did with Jimmy he did what he had to do so that's why I'm not like freaking out yet well and that's the thing I I think you have to expect some growing pains. And that's why I was in favor of starting Trey Lance last year to where he could get all that under his belt. Like right. you Big come same. into year two with all that experience, confidence is there. You got a little swagger walking through the building where there's going to be 
a period of growing pains, whether it's four games, six games, eight games, this whole season, I don't know, but it's going to be the case. And you're going to be dealing with young quarterback issues. He may as well be a rookie. So when that's the case, you can't have big penalties. You can't have Debo Samuel fumbles in the red zone, or maybe it was just out. You can't, you can't have, you know, all of that because the margins are smaller. So that's sort of how I feel about where the Niners are at right now. So, you know, every, I think ultimately where Trey Lance is going to get evaluated against is like against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, right? Just because young quarterbacks on good teams and, you know, teams traded up to get those guys. Trey Lance is 22. When Josh Allen was 22, that was his first season. He was completing 53% of his throws, averaging 173 yards a game with a 67 quarterback rating. He had 10 touchdowns and 12 picks. And Patrick Mahomes' year 22 season was when he got one start at the end of the year. It was his rookie year. So, like, while I understand the idea that, like, we need Trey Lance to be good right away, it's also a little bit unrealistic because a 22 year old quarterback in the league, there's just not a whole lot of precedent of like those dudes being elite from the jump. And I think the 49ers kind of understand that. And to your point about like Debo's fumble and the penalties and all of that, they came into this season banking on the supporting cast, carrying Trey Lance and like putting him in an optimized position Because, frankly, even the best quarterbacks in the league, when they were 22, they weren't particularly good, right? So that I think that's ultimately my pushback on, like, anybody who's like, God, you got to bench Trey. It's like, all right, well, yeah, you you have Super Bowl expectations, but is it entirely fair to ask your 22-year-old quarterback to be a Super Bowl quarterback, right? And so not like the expectations are like, you can't really control that and you're not going to necessarily make your team worse and have worse expectations going into the year. But in some way it's like the expectations might be the biggest problem here because you have a 22 year old quarterback. And frankly, like even the best, like I said, the best quarterbacks in the league when they were 22, were not the guy yet. So like my pushback to anybody being like, you got to bench Trey. It's like, well, if you yo-yo Trey Lance in and out of the lineup, then you're not going to get, you're absolutely not going to get, the big jump next year and year after that, because the foundation right now is being laid just through getting this experience and getting these reps that he needs so badly. Yeah, that can't happen. You can't bring him in. I mean, you've committed to him unless, I mean, unless he is throwing six picks a game, you can't have a short leash at all with him. Right. This is your guy and you can't be tempted by Jimmy. That's the big thing. It's like Kyle Shanahan cannot be tempted by Jimmy and he can't let anyone in the locker room convince him otherwise. The hard thing, Chris, you make so many good points and and you objectively are 100% correct. The issue that, you know, if if I'm on the other side of the coin, it's just like it's hard to have patience when you know how much the team invested in him. Mm-hmm. You know, it right. because it just makes you so nervous that if he's not the guy how bad of a look it is and what that ends up setting you back. Yeah. It's fair. Cause you're going to look at all the guys they could have taken with those picks. And if you just stick with Jimmy plus those three picks, maybe you already won another Super Bowl, and it's going right. to be painful. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, to truly 
quantify it how important Trey Lance is to this team. <laughs> it's a I mean, process. It a, it's a process versus results thing a little bit. Like, yeah, the process is right because Garoppolo kind of got them to a point, but it was like, hey, they need to if they're going to get to that next level, they need to make a major move for a quarterback. So they did that. The problem for the 49ers is process doesn't get you anything in the NFL. It is a to use the phrase the the common cliche. Um, it's a results based league. I and love so that do, cliche. It's such a good cliche. <laughs> so the process it's is my great. second favorite football cliche. What's your first favorite? Peterman, you know, is it the best ability is availability? No, that's a good that's, one. I like, that's mine. I like that one. That's certainly in the top five. It's iron sharpens iron. <laughs> oh, oh dude. it was so obvious. Very good one. I should have should have brick by brick. Stack the problem. The problem with what you're saying is like the the process of needing another quarterback makes sense. Did they need to give up three first rounders to get to the third overall pick and then go get Trey Lance as opposed to staying at twelve and and seeing with whoever comes? Or that's the issue. It's not that they. It's that they decided this was the guy they had to have, well, and they went all in for him. Don't push, don't push back on me on my podcast. I was agreeing with you, dog. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, I just <laughs> no. I think I think it's like they identified the guy and they went and did what they had to do to get him. That's great, but I'm you're right. He is the most important player in their locker room, and it's not even it's not even close. Like you said, it can't be Jimmy, where it's like, oh, you get him to a point. Like, no, man, he needs to be elite. But also like the elite elite. an element of the fruits of getting Trey Lance are going to come. It's going to come next year when you're paying Nick Bosa $40 million a year. Right. Like on top of what you gave Debo and then there, you know, you're probably, you might have to find a right tackle in free agency or pay Mike McGlinchey, you know, like there, there are going to be other spots that are going to cost the 49ers money where you look at, Trey Lance being on a rookie contract and then you're like okay this is a little bit more palatable but yeah I I ultimately like thinking about it a lot the last couple days I think the 49ers are kind of victims of their own circumstance in a way like because the expectations are what they are because I I I agree with the idea that the most the the way to have sustainable success in the NFL is to have an elite quarterback preferably on a rookie contract, or at least like is playing at a high level for a few years on that rookie contract, because ultimately that's like, you know, the rising tide that lifts all ships, right? It's like an elite quarterback. You can survive a lot of roster turnover and certain weaknesses on your roster and all that if your quarterback's playing well. But in order to get to that point, you have to develop your quarterback. And it just so happens that while they're trying to develop that quarterback, they have Super Bowl or bust expectations. So it's like it's a difficult needle to thread and it's like super Super Bowl windows are only open for so long but it's also super difficult to develop a quarterback and to do it at once is such a difficult needle to thread that ultimately to me I think it's it's just incumbent on the supporting cast to play well. You know, like Trey's got to play well obviously, Kyle Shanahan's got to develop him, but it's ultimately up to the supporting cast to not do what they did in Chicago with the red zone fumble with the 12 penalties with extending the bears drives via those penalties and dumb mistakes. Like, so it's just, it's a very, very unique situation, which is why this is such a fascinating season from the Niners perspective. Yeah. Should we get out on that? Totally. <laughs> I like it. And the last <laughs> thing I would add is it's a damn shame that George Kittle hurt himself the week before the game. Yeah. That's yeah. also a good point. 
How's how's the golf game? Uh, man, I spent like three weeks just like in the zone. I got all the way down to like a five seven, which is the best I've ever done. I've shot a couple mid eighties score or mid seventies scores, and it was great. It feels a little leaky now. The floor is higher, which is nice. I don't feel as I don't feel like I'm gonna go ever play and feel like I I don't know what I'm doing. Although who knows, the shanks could come back at any moment. But it feels pretty good. Played in a tournament last weekend. It was fun. Um, I'm trying to get more experience with competitive golf. You know, handling the emotions and nerves of that. Um, you know, so it's fun, man. It's a drug, <laughs> and I'm, I'm obsessed. Play my worst golf when it's competitive. Like I have one buddy I play <laughs> match play with, and just the 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 pressure of having to score on a certain hole, it just brings out the worst of my You got to do it, man. You got to keep doing it. Cause otherwise the handicap doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that's true. Chris got I a new putter. Yeah. Chris got a new putter. Credit to Chris. Yeah. Scotty, it, Scotty Cameron. I heard of him. <laughs> it's that milled face, bro. Um, no, I mean, I, the, the night, like I said, before we started recording, the nice thing about getting a new putter is I'm never going to miss another putt. So that I'm One really putting, looking forward to that. Having 18 putts around is, pretty good yeah no absolutely just go into your or like go into your app now and just one putt yeah Yeah. we're 16 just hole out Mm -hmm. a couple times um (laughs) all right well par fours yeah you should if you if and when you come back to the bay area we'll have to uh we'll have to organize something and um yeah thanks for coming on man yeah always fun chatting with you guys thanks for coming through for me (laughs) that's big time um Joe, I don't know if I actually know. I think there are flights from Las Vegas to Santa Rosa. So if you are not busy on Friday, you should come to the Cooperage event and drink some Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA, which came out uh, today, actually, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. When is that? It's this Friday. Weekend? Yeah. Friday, oh, September 16th. In like two days. In Santa That's Rosa. Not happening. It's going to be a live <laughs> panel. It's not happening. Okay. That's we can, we can FaceTime you. A live panel? Shit. Yeah. Come what on, if man. we What oh, if we tell you the beers? panel. <laughs> Well, enjoy, fellas, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, Joe. Go Mariners. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It's always good having Joe on. It's just, it's a great, it's a great guy. Great guest. Very really knowledgeable. He's got good perspective, particularly on the Seahawks as a beat writer for a long time. And now somebody who does a lot of the betting stuff. So he has good perspective on, on the entire league and, you know, stick golfer. And, and he lives in Vegas. So he probably sits at a sports book and watches uh, every game, every Sunday. He gets paid to watch football. Like, like a lot of us aspire to. So good for him. Um, This is the last pod that we're doing before the Cooperage event. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, I'm really excited. The beer's out. I have heard from the brewer, Tyler, uh, at Cooperage that the beer is excellent. And if Tyler says the beer is good, the beer is, is good. Because if you know anything about Cooperage, <laughs> you know, the beer is just amazing. What are you laughing at? No, just, I, I love the idea of him being like, ah, oh, shit. I hate it. <laughs> well, Guys, sorry about your beer. <laughs> Well, that, here, no. was my, here was my I, I talked about this last year with with Candlestick Chronicles. I was really afraid because I'll drink a hazy like I'm not anti hazy, sure. but I don't go out of my way to order a hazy like if I'm at a bar. And so I was really nervous because I've had some that I just I do not like that much. And I was like, man, this is going to suck if I take a sip of this beer and hate it and have to tell everybody how much I like it. And then I sipped it. And it is the easiest drinking hazy I've ever had. It's so good. It's delicious. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to get some cases. Um, but you can cases? get it. Cases. Yeah, we're going oh, to have cases. God. Party's going to be at your crib. I can't wait. Yeah, party. Sure. <laughs> party <laughs> over here. Uh, we got plenty of room. Um, no, but the, uh, the, the beer is really good. It's going to be a good time. We have the Redwood Empire Food Bank there. Um, they'll be taking donations and we'll have a raffle. Um, we'll have hopefully some, some really cool items, not only from the 49ers, but from other people, um, on the beat who may or may not have written books that may, may be signing books that we will, uh, that we'll raffle off. Um, so it'll be a good time. It's free of charge. You just go to Cooperage, um, drink beer with us, toss Redwood Empire food bank, a little bit of money if you want, or buy some raffle tickets. And listen to us shoot the shit about football, and we're going to have good live guests. Mayoko, hopefully, will be there. Um, Cam Inman, you know, the, hopefully the news tomorrow doesn't make it so these guys have to drive up from Santa Clara, like, you know, in the thick, thick, thick traffic, which can happen. <laughs> but that's why people are like, what time does it start? I'm like, well, 8 p.m., but I'm, I'm not, like, beholden to it. Like, if you want to... If you want to get there at a certain time, I would say eight, but there's a pretty reasonable chance that it's like, you know, 830 or something like that, just because of traffic. So, um, but it's going to be a good time regardless. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing everybody and excited about it. And uh, it's only our second ever live event. So um means a lot to everybody who makes the trek to, to show up. And obviously the beer is yeah. good and, you know, drink beer, talk football and donate to charity. I, I think that's a win-win for everybody involved. Yeah, and it's a live podcast, but it's not recorded. So it's the beat writers, some beat writers, it's media folks, media folks. Thank you. I was, I knew there was a word I was looking for that was not beat writer, uh, media folks, 
telling stories, drinking beer, um, off the record. Getting a little loose. It'll be fun. Last year, last year was really fun. Last year was really fun. If it's anything like last year, it'll be a blast. And this year, the goal is to actually take a picture. We're going to take, it's going to be photos this year. <laughs> um, so yeah, hope to see everybody there. Uh, Friday, September 16th. That'll be tomorrow by the time if you're listening to this pod on Thursday. So come check us out. Yeah. Um, if you're in the North Bay, it's certainly a much easier drive than um, from the South Bay, but we'll be making it. So um, I hope to see as many people there as possible. Appreciate everybody's support. And if you I will um, actually some, so at some point tomorrow do a fundraising post on Instagram uh, for Redwood Empire Food Bank. And if you can't come to the event but still want to donate or contribute anything to the food bank, you can do it through there. Cool. Um, and you can buy Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPAs on Cooper's website. They will ship anywhere within California. You can buy half cases or full cases. Doesn't have to be if you're not a hazy person, they have delicious other beers. Um, you can get as you can mix up. They sell in four packs cases, yeah. four four packs, I believe. Eight four packs? Four four packs. Six four packs. Six four packs, right in the middle. Twenty four beers. Appreciate you. Yeah, you're smart. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, you can get that on Cooper's website. And they'll overnight it so you don't Go have do to it. worry about it being stale or whatnot. Yes. And it comes in like it's well packed, it's not just like in a box. But come to the event and come get it at the event. Subscribe, rate, and review. Do all those things. See you guys at Cooper's.